Yeah, some Concrete Blonde to start the podcast nice. this week, huh? Yeah. It seemed a natural. I think so. Concrete Blonde with uh, the late Jeanette La- Napolinito. Who used I've to never be- known how to pronounce that name. Yeah, remember back in... Remember David Letterman. Le- David Letterman used, her, yeah. to, used to refer to her as his wife back in, I think, the <laughs> 80s. But we're getting off track. Welcome. <laughs> this is the Fright Club Podcast. I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And we are from madwolf.com. And we are back for our monthly visit, our monthly live party at the Gateway Film Center Yay. right on High Street. <laughs> In the heart of the Ohio State University campus, and uh, we're glad to be back. We always have a blast here. We're going to talk about some almost vampires. That's why we started with the song there, and we're going to see one of them tonight on the big screen. But first, we've got to say thanks uh, for last podcast to the B-Movie Bros. It was a bro down. It was a bro down, and I got to come anyway. Um, (laughs) You're an honorary bro. Okay. Yeah, it it was super fun, and we argued about what exactly makes an amputation. And we got into an argument about what is and what isn't a limb. They were yeah. they they were arguing that the head was a limb. Yeah, I'm like, and if not the head, then the neck. And I'm going to call shenanigans. Exactly. On that. It's yeah. Yeah. Poor public education. <laughs> it was fun though. They brought some great. They brought some great <laughs> no, stuff. No, they were great. They yeah. were great. It was super fun. So thanks and to as, them. Again, credit to them. It was their idea. The the topic was their idea, which was really just so that we could all gush about Bruce Campbell, who, by the way. We're going to go see it at the end of this month. Yeah, he's coming to town here in Columbus. He's on his book tour doing uh, doing the signing here at, at a little shop down in German Village. That's so, right. Yeah. My baby got me in. <laughs> that should be fun, so we'll have a little report on that. Also, we should mention out this week, there's a new horror movie out in theaters this week, Annabelle, The Creation. You can check out our written review, Hope's written review, on the website at madwolf.com. But real quickly, let's just say we... We liked it okay. It, I thought it, it could have been better. It was directed by the same guy that did Lights Out, which I thought was a huge disappointment. I didn't like Lights Out. This is better than that, though. And it's better than Annabelle, the first Annabelle. Yeah. But yeah. It's, it's, it's empty-headed. And But it has some really creepy segments to it. It does have some creepy segments. It does. Yeah. And here's, as we were saying, it's Chipotle afterwards. And is it wrong? <laughs> what? I know. Is it wrong that I just want to see more dead orphans? Um... I think certain members of the medical community would say that that is wrong. Yes, yes. But uh, anyway, kind of a kind of a lukewarm, I think, recommendation for Annabelle, yeah. the creation. Welcome. We've got a nice crowd here, but we have to give special recognition because finally, Heather, the other half of Fright Clubber number one, John Dean, has finally made it out to Fright Club tonight. Welcome, Yay! Heather. Yay! <laughs> John, Fright Clubber One has been with us since the very first episode, very first. two theaters ago, and every time, and Heather and I work together, so every time it's like, are you coming or what? What's up? <laughs> Why no love? Uh, but she's finally here, so thank you, and thanks for everybody. Our Cincinnati contingents in the house. That's right. So thank you for that. D-Zach We've, is back. Yeah. Got, got me all like, <laughs> it's an inside job. <laughs> Getting too inside. Oh, and we want to say, we don't want to forget, we want to say hi to Letitia from Dallas, Texas. She's the coolest. Brand new Fright Clubber. Started listening, and then I guess has been going back and listening to some of the old ones, so we really appreciate Wise. that. And giving us some good uh, <laughs> and nice feedback, so yeah, thank she you. Wants, she wants us to do anthology horror. Yeah, which... We, which we've, we've talked about for a long time and never actually have done. So yeah, and then do... she listened to an old one and realized that you said it's not your favorite, but that doesn't matter. But I, no. I think it's a good topic. Because I also had a an often pointed out issue with found footage. Right. But we did a good found oh, footage yeah. podcast because it yeah. was not hard for me to find five or six actually really great ones. Yeah, so. and I think there's plenty to explore there and in anthology. I like so. to do that because it, it you know, makes me feel less biased. I'm like, oh, no, I do <laughs> like it because I can name. I like these six right. anthology horror films. You and your liberal media bias. Ha! 
So, Letitia, thank you. And I think she says she's going to try to come to Nightmares Film Festival. As everyone should. Which is a good idea. Yeah, just another chance for us to uh, plug it. Nightmares Film Festival, October, right here at the Gateway. Look it up. I think the VIP passes are on sale now. But yes. they're, they're going fast. So uh, make plans to join us. It's going to be a hoot. And some great movies, shorts and features, mm -hmm. and a chance to network and you know meet new friends. And especially if you're maybe an aspiring filmmaker or want to get into that, there are tons of networking possibilities. But obviously, there, so. if you're listening to us, you probably like horror movies. Yeah. And that's probably well, that a alone. reason alone. Yeah. yeah. So it's going to be great. So another shameless plug for that, but it's worth it. Let's move on. Yeah. So uh, we're going to get to the Almost Vampires. And what we talked about last week, we had a couple comments from the podcast last week, right? We did have some comments. Adam H., he was really happy to see uh, The Unknown on there. And Andrew yeah. was happy to see another disabilities theme, yeah. which is great. We want to do more of those, and one of these days we'll get to the biggest disability of all, which is dumb acidness. <laughs> we got to do the biggest... <laughs> we'll get to the biggest dumbasses in horror one of these days. But yeah, you're right. That might be too long a list. So thank you for all the, uh, the feedback. And once again, thanks to uh, our buddies at Golden Spiral Media for uh, hosting this podcast. And, and they've got some other great podcasts on there as well. They do. Speaking of, though, so so uh, our friend Corey Metcalf has, they have a, they have tons and tons. If you like podcasts, Golden Spiral Media has a ton. A lot of them are on TV shows. Corey Metcalf, our senior Aussie correspondent, he also does one on movies called Triple Cast. Right. And he commented on the last one because he was really expecting to see Idle Hands oh. on there, which would have been, I mean, it wouldn't have made the list, but we could have mentioned Idle Hands. Okay. And then the other one I really like is called Bloody Knuckles. Uh, which if you haven't seen, you probably haven't. It's a really small Canadian film, but it's very, very funny. It's like Idle Hands, only sort of more subversive. Uh, so, so I those, like that one, too. Those were kind of bubbling under the amputee. Yeah. But the one I forgot mm -hmm. that I should have at least mentioned, which they're going to show here, actually, at Gateway Film Center, is Santa Sangre. Oh, yeah. I should have mentioned that because that's just, that is amputation crazy. That movie <laughs> is so about amputations. Um <laughs> And I didn't mention it, and I probably should have. I don't love it. It's a Spanish movie, but it's a very Italian. Span it's Italian, yeah. but there's a lot it's of not our favorite genre. Catholic and and you know mother son virgin whore amputation whatnot. It's not my favorite sounds, movie, sounds but it's charming. very <laughs> very stylized and interesting. And if you like Italian horror, actually, I would recommend it because it, it feels like Italian horror. They're just speaking Spanish. Okay, so so that was for last week. This week, it's all about almost vampires. Are they vampires? We're not sure. So do we have rules? Do we have some that almost made the, the cut and didn't make it? We did. Uh, so the two in particular. And one, you see, it almost made the cut really because of the way it was billed. I don't think the movie itself ever suggested that these characters were vampires, but it was billed as best billing of any horror movie of all time. You see, a Polish... Vampire Mermaid Musical. <laughs> That's right, The Lure. The Lure. So yeah. if you haven't seen The Lure, I mean, come on, who doesn't want to see it right now? I want to see it right now, and I've seen it. Yeah, it's, um, a, it's a nutty movie. It's, it's nutty. Yeah. It's nutty. But, but I, 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 I can see, not, I, I don't yeah. think I would include that on a vampire. No, I mean, they either. kill a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think they're vampires, per se. But it was a great movie. And then the other one, they say they're vampires, but I think they're zombies. And I love the movie, though, Stakeland. Stakeland sort was... Of a, vampire zombie hybrid because they're mindless and they're they're dead dead and the way the vampires are like living dead and zombies are like full-on dead and they're still coming at you so anyway it's a it's a it's a thin line but okay. it's a good movie i liked it so it almost made the list okay and also thirst yeah 
Because I suppose he's a vampire. It's just the weirdest movie. Uh, it's basically, if you haven't seen it, and it's Chanwook Park, so see it. Yeah. Um, the same story that is The Postman Always Rings Twice. It's the same story. Yeah, those, there's been multiple, yeah. multiple movies made of that same story. Except that it's set in Korea, and one of them is a vampire. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's an odd twist. But he's not really a vampire. He's a priest. Blood transfusions. I mean, there's blood yeah. drinking. Uh, but it's a really cool movie. It's just, I don't know that I bought that he was a vampire in it. Okay, so all Almost made the cut. Yeah. And one more, Mary, Mary, Bloody Mary. Yeah, that's really just uh, Christina Ferrara getting naked and drinking blood, but I don't think she had to. Uh, the whole movie, I'm like, I just think... She just did it voluntarily. I just think she wanted to. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> Nothing compelled her to do that. Wow, that could maybe qualify on the disability <laughs> list, maybe. <laughs> Possibly. Okay, so that didn't make the list. Um, any other rules? No, huh? We should know? No. Just These were just according to your whim. Yes, they were. <laughs> this is where you watch it and go, I don't know, is he a vampire? That's That was this one was. That's this one. All right. We'll start off right at number five. Oh, and this is a good one because George hates this movie. It's not House <laughs> to Sue bad, though, right? No, it's you not House to like Sue. No, not. he doesn't, but he hates this, this movie. This one from 1988. After an encounter with a neck biter, a publishing executive thinks he's turning into a vampire. It's the unhinged Nicolas Cage in Vampire's Kiss. It started with a kiss. It's really hot. A very special kiss. A kiss that could drive you mad. Oh, Una. That's just love. Love? Love. In the big city. Yeah! Don't laugh. I'm a professional. I don't laugh. I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! <laughs> the tortures of the damned! Okay, I don't know if you heard, but just when we announced this was number five, I heard at least one groan from the crowd. I'm with you. I am with you. I don't get it. I, I get Nicolas Cage is crazy, and it's always kind of fun, like when you're driving by a wreck, you turn and look at it. But <laughs> as far as a movie, I'm, 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 not, I'm not down on this. So this is number five under protest for me, <laughs> which, you know, as you know, goes nowhere. <laughs> So make your case. I love this movie. I've always loved this movie. I full on, uh, you know, it's not like a, it's not like a guilty pleasure. I love this movie. I think it's hilarious. I think, I think his performance. I mean, it's 1988. Nicolas Cage was still just an unhinged genius at the time, uh, which means he hadn't made Con Air yet, which is really the movie that turned him. Um, and we actually, we talked about this once before when we talked about um, American Psycho. Because yeah. there are a lot of real parallels between those two movies. American Psycho is the like the most bone dry horror comedy of all time, and this is much more flamboyant with its comedy. Plus, American Psycho is good, and this one. <laughs> Sorry, you left it That's open. Okay. You left the opening there. I had when, to take it. When I was a kid, my next door neighbor and I would say to each other as we walked to the street, "Alva." <laughs> And if you haven't seen the movie, you don't know why we did it, but we did it. There you are. It's also got Maria Conchita Alonso because it came out in 1988, so yes. of course it does. And but he actually eats, he really does eat that's that right. cockroach. This is the one where he eats a cockroach. That's correct. And walks around with those fake vampire teeth going, I don't know what's not to love. I swear to God. I have no <laughs> idea how anybody would not adore this movie. And his performance is so funny. I mean, I love in the trailer, you get, because the way he says his name, I'm Peter Lowe. It's just, and he's such this big, like, gangle of limbs. His, the comedic, physical performance in this is just magnificent. Well, it, it is important to remember that it was back before Nicolas Cage was Nicolas Cage. So it's one of those performances where you don't know 
is this the worst actor in the world, or is he really good at being this way? <laughs> we just hadn't figured out that he was bad yet. And also, know. this is a movie before she went on pretty much now as a full-time director. It says Casey Lemons, who is uh, Jodie Foster's friend in Silence of the Lambs, yes. and now she's gone on to be pretty much a full-time director. But yeah, she's, she's a, got a small part in this. Jennifer Beals. Yeah, uh, Jennifer Beals actually comes right. She, her other movie this year, uh, this year of 1988, was The Bride. So she went from playing The Bride of Frankenstein. Now that sucks. That to movie sucks. a female sucks. vampire. It does suck. That, Much the, like the Bride this one. is terrible. Uh, so no, <laughs> I just have to get my shots in <laughs> while you let me. But uh, number five on our list of almost vampires. Are they vampires? Vampires Kiss from 1988. And moving up to number four. This is one from just last year. One that actually I, I saw some some little bit of a chatter today. On, it's on, on Facebook, Netflix now. Because it just made Netflix, so we encourage you to check it out. It's a, trouble, a story of a troubled teen named Milo who has a fascination with vampire lore, and he meets the equally alienated Sophie. The two form a bond that begins to blur Milo's fantasy into reality. It's the transfiguration. Have you been hurting any animals? Maybe thinking, but I don't do it. Not anymore. So you heard, huh? Huh? Someone kill a white boy in the basement. So what are vampires like? I think it starts with drinking blood. Like you have a need to. Eventually that's not good enough. So you switch to animals and people. Whatever it is you're doing, there's someone doing a whole lot worse. Why are you avoiding me? I love this movie. I love Milo, <laughs> the main kid that you see right there. He loves vampires. It's really, I mean, it doesn't have to be a vampire movie at all. It's just a, it's just a high school movie where the main character is an incredibly alienated, sad young man. So it's like one out of every six independent films that comes out, really. Yeah, it, it uses the whole vampire narrative as it's still a coming of age tale is what it is. It is from the point of view of somebody who has no friends who everybody picks on who's basically alone and so he sort of finds solace in the idea of of the vampire of this loner who's got this cool life and he you know and 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 so he starts to sort of behave in that way and it's the first film from writer director Michael O'Shea. He clearly loves vampire movies because because Otis loves Nosferatu that's the most important thing and his I said Otis, like Milo and Otis. Milo, that's that's literally what I just did. Milo loves Nosferatu. <laughs> That'll be the next podcast. We're going to show Milo and Otis. <laughs> um, and then, but then he finally finds a friend who becomes a girlfriend, and of course, she likes Twilight. So it's really funny to see, and, and he he wants to be nice to her, but he just can't even like. Oh, he can't even, he has got to look away. It's hilarious. But then the performances are great, and the, the both leads are so tender and heartbreaking yeah. and wonderful. And then the, you know, like the core, as the conflict builds, I just think it takes really, really interesting but sort of believable direction considering the topic matter. And uh, Yeah, I like well, what, it, what, it, what it does with the character, um, because there are deaths, you know, there's mm-hmm. blood in here, and he's... It's interesting how he's basically constructing a whole different reality yeah. to deal with his real reality and the things that are going on. Plus, I love 
the brother character. I know. Because he's constantly watching TV. He never gets off his he couch. He never gets off the couch. He's always watching TV. And I was trying to figure out, what is he watching the show? Because they have it up just loud enough where I think it's the director wants you to hear a little bit of it, but not quite enough. So that one, that one really fascinated me, the brother character that was constantly watching TV. But there's a lot. Yeah, there, there's strong characters that, that I think are learning that there's consequences to their actions, which is part of coming of age. Yeah. And so I think it, it works, like you said, as a almost vampire tale and then as a completely not vampire tale as well. Yeah, and I mean, it's also, it draws really heavily on another movie that we'll talk about in like three movies, so we can mention it again then. But Yeah, um, it doesn't it doesn't rise quite to the level of Milo and Otis, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, you're not going to let that die, are you? You're not going to give it up, are you? <laughs> this is a podcast where he makes fun of me the whole time. <laughs> I told you not to have that beer. <laughs> So that is number four on our list of almost vampires, The Transfiguration, which is, yeah, like you said, just out, I think, this week on Netflix. So definitely worth checking out. And moving up to number three, that is the one that we're going to see tonight. And it's a young boy trying to cope with rural life circa 1950s. After his father tells him stories of vampires, he becomes convinced that the widow up the road is one. And from 1990, The Reflecting Skin. Any vampires around these parts, Pa? Wouldn't be at all surprised. Tell me, how old do you think I am? Fifty. Oh, no, I'm older than that. I'm 200 years old. Also, it's also horrible, isn't it? The nightmare of childhood. She's got him now, Eben. Nothing I can do. Oh, innocence can be hell. So this is the most beautiful movie. It like visually. This is the most just absolutely really glorious, great, yeah. beautiful movie. And it looks so lovely, you know, as one of the critics on the screen said, really hypnotic, that you almost miss how horrifying so many of these scenes are and, and, and some of, of what happens to this little Seth Dove, Jeremy Cooper. He's the cutest little evil child. <laughs> and what the thing is, is that the film doesn't really set him up as, the, as an evil child. It's basically told from his point of view. So everything is nonsense and at the same time completely logical because he's eight years old. So he reads these comic books about vampires and his brother just returns from the war and his parents are talking about all kinds of things. So all of it makes an equal amount of nonsense to him. So there's no reason to believe that this widow up the road, Dolphin Blue, all the names are so awesome in this movie, who, who wants to, to date his brother, played by Viggo Mortensen, so why wouldn't she? So he's convinced that she's a vampire, basically because he doesn't want her to spend time with his brother. But again, um, one of the things that the movie does really well is just to make it, you buy all of it. All of it makes perfect sense because all of it is told from the point of view of this eight-year-old boy. Yeah, and we don't want to go into it too much more because we're going to see it here in a little bit. Uh, But the director himself, Philip Ridley, has described it as blue velvet with children. So that can give you... A little bit it's, of an it's idea. Very, it's, got a, it's got a very David Lynch feel about it, for yeah, real. And, and like you said, it looks fantastic. So it's great that we're able to see it here tonight on the big screen for Fright Club Live. So that's number three. And moving up to number two, it is a mysterious device designed to provide its owner with eternal life, resurfacing after 400 years, leaving a trail of destruction in its path. 1993, Del Toro's Kronos. 
As you could probably tell in the trailer, this film also has a very cool look about it. It's like a super, yeah, yeah, like a modern gothic type of look, which is a lot. A lot of Del Toro films have that look, but this one has more of a more of a throwback, I think, to it. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And it takes place a lot of it takes place in a like an antiques shop. So if you know if you're looking around, because it's very early Del Toro, so if you look around the antique shop, you're going to see some things that are going to remind you of other films he's going to make later on, which is really super cool. And uh, and it's. Federico Lupi and, of course, Ron Perlman, both yeah. of whom pretty regular castmates for him. Uh, Which originally, I guess, Ron Perlman's character was supposed to, he was supposed to speak fluent Spanish. But when he got on the set, Del Toro thought that Perlman's Spanish was awful. So he had to change the entire thing to make him a, like an American who can't speak Spanish, which is what he was. Yeah, it actually, it stands out. Yeah, it does. I mean, it doesn't make any sense <laughs> at all because he works for his uncle and his name is Angel. And every, the film is in Spanish, and every and you're just like, is this, that's just Ron Perlman. He's, <laughs> he's clearly not Spanish. It does kind of stand out a little bit, but he plays a thug, and he's good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just has such a presence on screen, but, but Loopy in particular. So he accidentally finds this scarab in the base of an archangel statue that he has in his antique store. And so he is injected with what this thing has. And so Ankel's uncle has been looking for this. And Ankel is just waiting for his uncle to die so he can get the inheritance. So he doesn't understand what's going on. The The uncle is looking for eternal life. And, and it, so it is. It's a vampire story, so to speak. But it's it's definitely not in any way a traditional vampire story. They don't ever mention vampires. And one of the things that is really lovely about it is the, the family unit. Federico Lupi and his wife and then their granddaughter, Aurora. And uh, I think that uh, I hate schmaltzy, sentimental whatnot in horror films and any films but in horror films in particular and I think that um, as you can see in almost everything he does in Pan's Labyrinth and almost everything he does he can create a very tender genuine family unit and use that to sort of you know create an emotional core for a film without ever being like a hallmark card and I think that he does it really beautifully here and the performances are outstanding but again as you said it just looks so cool yeah and he actually started writing this script back in the 80s and it was originally called Vampire of the Grey Dawn and it didn't get until, you know, until almost 10 years later until it got on screen. But, yeah, it's it's very cool looking. It's also, I wouldn't call it outright scary. It's a little, it's creepy. It's a little disquieting. It's tense. Yeah, it, it's, yeah it's got, disquieting. It's got some wit to it, and it's yeah. very stylish. So that is Kronos, 1993, number two on our list. And we got to wrap it up here soon because we got a movie to watch. But that takes us up to number one, one that we've talked about. I think it's maybe made at least one countdown before. Uh, back to 1978, a young man who believes himself to be a vampire goes to live with his elderly and hostile cousin in a small Pennsylvania town where he tries to redeem his blood-craving urges. George Romero's Martin. My name is Martin. I'm 84 years old. People think I'm crazy when I tell them how old I am. I'd like to be normal. I just have a sickness. The only way I can survive is by drinking blood. Martin, another kind of terror. of Night of the Living Dead. I think in a, at least a few interviews before he passed away, um, George Romero has said this was among his most personal favorites of his movies. It's not, it's really unlike anything else he did. Oh, because yeah, it's really, so, yeah. it's really a character study. Yeah. Um, and it's incredibly well, incredibly well written in that it doesn't ever decide for you whether Martin is a vampire or isn't. So he goes to live with his family in Pittsburgh 
and he believes that he's this 84-year-old man, and his cousin, who he lives with, this old man, is really antagonistic toward him the whole time. And so it's never, is it because he should be older than this old man cousin, and, and, and the old man cousin knows that he's a vampire? Is just because... Martin's a serial killer, <laughs> so the old man doesn't really want him living with him. It's hard to tell. It's, you're never 100% clear on it. And then, you know, he has flashbacks, or are they just dream sequences? I don't know. But I think the thing is, so John Amplas p- plays Martin, and, it, and it's, it's funny because whether he's, because he kills a lot of people, so whether he's a serial killer, you know, or whether he's a vampire, either way, he's just the most incredibly sympathetic character and you just love him and it, again this is the one that that uh, um, Transfiguration clearly draws a great deal of inspiration from uh, they're very very similar movies it's a bit dated clearly but it is just, it's a really lovely movie very much unlike anything else Romero did yeah and I think the original concept for the film Romero had the character being an actual 84 year old man but he saw John Amplis on stage in a performance of, of some play and was so impressed with him, he rewrote the whole thing to give Amplis the starring role, which gives it, as you just said, a whole different context. Oh, it absolutely and I, and does. And I think, I think you, you'll find in this movie, also with Night of the Living Dead and some of the others, it has a kind of a, a war, and especially with 1978 post-Vietnam War types of concerns about it, about what's going on in the world, I think you can see in there. Well, I, I mean, that was Romero's preoccupation oh, yeah. all the time. For sure. Yeah. For sure. But uh, And the original cut, I think, of the movie ran almost three hours long. Oh, that's stupid. And had an X rating for its just for its violence. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'd be a little bit much. Because it's a really slow-moving film. It is. I mean, yeah. it's a very meditative, slow-moving film. Three hours. That's but it's it's another talk. one that really is held together so much by that lead performance. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so much so uh, that comes in at number one on our list of almost vampires from 1978, Martin. All right, so let us know what you think. Keep the conversation going on Twitter. We are at Mad Wolf. That is M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Mad Wolf Columbus is the Facebook page. And, of course, the main website where you can find this podcast probably posting on Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully it'll be up by Monday, uh, madwolf.com. So um, until then. We got a couple things to say. We have actually Fred Clever, number one, John, is going to co-host with us. The last one in August, we're going to do German horror. We were going to do incest, and he bailed. And he said, no, German. <laughs> I'm not lying. <laughs> and then uh, the next Fright Club Live is the 13th of September, and we are going to talk about sisters, and we're going to watch Ginger Snaps. Yeah, that should be fun. So I hope you can join us then. Uh, all right, we got a movie to watch. Until then, I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Yeah.